You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. see anybody out of step? You might see them out of step, but not for long. How can they walk together unless they agree? Try being out of step in a formation like that. You'll stick out like a sorest thumb there is. How can two walk together unless they agree? Unless we develop the reason, the proper reason for unity, we will truly never be unified. The reason that we should be united is Jesus Christ. If we're not working together as the church towards one central goal, we quickly become disorganized and dysfunctional. In today's message, Pastor Dave will encourage us to seek unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. His love and the truth of the gospel is greater than our petty disagreements. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 15 as he continues his message, The Agreement. James, the early leader of the church, he stands up. And he, what does he do? He quotes Scripture. He goes to the very Word of God. He goes to the Old Testament and quotes a prophet named Amos. And he says that what's happening in the Gentile church, what Paul, Barnabas, and Peter were speaking about is what Amos was referring to and in agreement with. This was God's plan. And therefore, because it was God's plan, the Gentiles should be left alone. They should be left alone completely. Salvation was happening with the Gentiles. The grace of God was being poured out. He said, let's not trouble them. You know, so many times when people come to the Lord, immediately we want to run to them and bombard them with all these rules and regulations and stipulations that they have to keep. We think we place them under the law. Oh, it's good that you accept Jesus, but now you have to do this, 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 and this and have salvation when it's totally false. We know that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, we studied it many times in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that we are saved only by grace through faith. Reminds me of a story. This guy dies and he goes to heaven and he meets St. Pete. St. Pete's at the gate. He's always at the gate, right? Peter says to the man, you need a thousand points to make it into heaven. Tell me all the good things you've done and I'll give you a certain number of points for each one. And when you get to 1,000 points, you're in. Guy says, okay. I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I loved her and was faithful. Peter says, that's wonderful. That's worth two points. Two points? Wait a minute. Okay, I attended church all my life and gave 10% faithfully. Peter says, wonderful. One point. One point? My goodness. Well, what about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked for a shelter for the homeless. Fantastic, Peter said. Two more points. Two points? At this rate, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. Welcome, my servant. Come in. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace. 
when you add something else to salvation, you're taken away from the cross of Jesus Christ. We can't look at Christianity backwards. What believers do is a result of faith, not a prerequisite for faith. Don't look at Christianity in a backwards way. Don't let your spiritual pride be your motivation. Just accept the fact that all your efforts will not bring you any step closer to salvation. Who are the Judaizers of today? Well, there are those that say we must add something to a simple faith. It's only by grace can we enter. Can a person add something to Jesus' work on the cross? It's resounding no. Should we add anything to Christ's offer of salvation by grace through faith? Resounding no. It is only by grace. At the conclusion of James's speech, he suggests that the council write a letter to the Gentiles explaining this grace, and then he suggests that they needed to add a few requirements. Now remember, these requirements are not for salvation. These requirements are not for salvation. What did he add? He said they should abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual morality, from things strangled, and from blood. James basically divides the controversy into two parts. We talked at length about this last week. He said that, number one, in order to live a life filled with grace, we who are under grace cannot put non-biblical demands on those who are not. We cannot put non-biblical demands on them. And secondly, he said, because we're under grace, we should gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. We don't want to stumble anybody's because of our liberty in Christ. We need to restrict our freedom, and it should be done willingly. As we studied the letters today written by the council in our verses today, what I glean from that is a wonderful model for unity in the church. I gleaned a wonderful model, and there's three things that I would like to address about this this morning. There are three things that I came up with when I looked at this letter. The first thing was this agreement was unified. This agreement was unanimous. And thirdly, the agreement was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. These are the three things that I see in these scriptures today. So as we look at verse 22 and 23, we see that the agreement reached by the Jerusalem council was unified. It was a unified agreement. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. Note what it says there. It pleased not only the elders and the apostles, but it pleased the entire church. The entire church was for this decision. The entire church wanted to make this letter happen. They were unified. They all agreed. Look who wrote the letter. It could have just been written by the apostles. It could have been written just by the elders because they were the ones who, quote-unquote, carried the weight. But no, it says, from the apostles, from the elders, and all the brethren. They all agreed upon what was written. What does this mean? Look at it this way. Remember those certain men, those Judaizers that went and claimed that they had to be circumcised? They were here. They agreed with the letter. They agreed with what the letter said. Remember those Pharisees who said they must obey with the law of Moses? They agreed with this letter. What an example of submission one to another. What an example 
What a great example of focusing on the major issue, which was salvation. So many times, so many times we as a church start focusing on the minor issue when the major issue is Jesus Christ. The major issue is the furtherance of the gospel for the sake of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what my dearest commentary friend Warren Wiersbe said about this. I mean, what would a sermon be without Warren Wiersbe, right? It is beautiful to see that this letter expressed the loving unity of people who had once been debating with each other and defending their views. The legalistic Jews willingly gave up insisting that the Gentiles had to be circumcised to be saved. And the Gentiles accepted the change in their eating habits. It was a loving compromise that did not in any way affect the truth of the gospel. Unquote. What was accomplished by this agreement was a strengthening in the unity of the church. If the church continued on the way they were going, like I said before, it would split. There would be a church of law and a church of grace. I would like to point out something here, something that's very, very important about this agreement. This dietary issue that James brought up, this in no way is a doctrinal compromise. This is not a doctrinal compromise because in Jude 3, we can never compromise doctrinally. Doctrine is doctrine, and we have to hold to it. There are things we can compromise on, and there are things we cannot compromise on. This is not a compromise on doctrine. Look what Jude said in Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude preached against his dangerous practices and doctrines that put the gospel of Jesus Christ in peril. See, the ancient Greek word here used for contend is an athletic word. It means something like a wrestling mat. It means to be strengthened in the form. It means to agonize. I mean, you ever, has anybody ever wrestled? You never wrestled. You don't know agony until you're wrestling. And you don't know agony until you're getting beat wrestling by someone bigger than you. And that's pure agony. When you're trying down, trying to struggle out from a hole or something like that, I'm not talking about Hulk Hogan. I'm talking about, you know, collegiate wrestling or high school wrestling. You know, when they have you down in a certain hole and you're trying to get free, man, there's agony there and it hurts. That's what it means here. Therefore, control means to speak very, very hard and to be diligent in your work. This is what David Guzik said about this contention of the faith. He said, we contend for the faith in a positive sense when we give unflinching witnesses, when we distribute tracts, or when we make possible the training of faithful ambassadors for Jesus, or when we strengthen the hands of faithful pastors who honor the Word of God in the pulpits. He says, we contend for the faith in a negative way when we uphold, or excuse me, withhold support and encouragement from those who compromise the faith when we speak out against the preaching of another gospel or speak out against the manner of living that contradicts the message of the gospel. And we contend for the faith in a practical sense when we live uncompromising Christian lives and give credit to the Lord who changed us. It's interesting here. I hate when you drop your Cheerios. It's interesting here that Jude says that we need to contend for the faith because certain men have crept in unnoticed. Men have crept into their church unnoticed. They've come in. Nobody knew they were there. That's what makes them so dangerous. 
They're unnoticed. No one noticed that they were dangerous. When they came in, they didn't wear signs that said, we're false teachers, look at us. They were unnoticed. They crept in. They became unnoticed in the calm. They probably claimed that they had more biblical knowledge than anybody else in the church. They might have been unnoticed by men, but they weren't unnoticed by God. The Lord is not up there wringing his hands in heaven going, oh, I wonder what's going to happen with those deceivers. I wonder what's going to happen when they get there. No. The Lord was in total control. They may have been hidden from the believers, but they weren't hidden from God because their condemnation, James said, was already marked out long ago. Their judgment was assured. Truth will always win out. Truth will always win out. Remember that. The Word of God will always be successful. It will always win out because it is the truth. It is the truth. And when we stray from the Word of God, we stray from the truth of God. If you live not according to the Word of God, you're not living according to the truth. For this is the only truth that there is. The world will tell you that there are no absolutes. The world will tell you that everything's okay and you can do whatever you want. Well, don't kill the messenger, but that's not what God says. Don't kill the messenger. And His Word will not come back void. His Word is true. These dietary laws that James spoke about had nothing to do with doctrine. This was a learning to give and take principle. It was a practical arrangement so that people could live their life in harmony. People could live their life in unity. So it was a unified agreement. It was also a unanimous agreement. Look at verses 24 and 25, please. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling words, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the pronouns that are used here. We have heard. Men who were sent out from us, we are sending. This unity goes far beyond anything that we can trump up in the flesh. This is a spirit-filled unity. These were unanimous. This was unanimous because it says they were of one accord. One accord. I love the Greek word for one accord. It's homothumadon. Say that six times. Homothumadon. And it means one mind, entire harmony of feelings and views. One mind. That's what these men were. They have one accord, one-minded. You know, this word, one accord, is used 11 times in the, in the book of Acts. We've already studied it a couple times. And every time it is used, it talks about the relationship between believers and each other. One accord. It's kind of like the glue that holds us all together, this glue of one accordness, the unity of the believers. There's no schisms. There's no divided interest. There's no discord among the brethren. There was no discord among this council. God had done a mighty work in their heart. James Fawcett Brown says, describes the unity that these men were experiencing. It was a bond stronger than death. Wow. A bond stronger than death. Why were they in one accord? It was because of their obedience to God. It was because of their obedience to the Lord. This togetherness led to unity. This together led to strength. King David wrote about this in Psalm 131, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. It's very good for brothers and sisters in the faith to be united. To be united in a common goal. And that common goal is the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The Apostle Paul urged the Ephesian church to do likewise. He said in Ephesians 4, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is to be an endeavor for us. An endeavor simply means to make haste, to be zealous, to be diligent. It means we need to do that. We need something we need to be constantly doing. Sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? Sounds like it might be hard. In other words, this unity that's being demonstrated here does not come naturally. It's not something we warm up in our flesh and go, today I'm going to be united with somebody. Today we're going to be united. No, it doesn't happen that way. We have to be spirit-filled. This unity can only come from being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it can only come by a spirit-filled unity and being under the influence of the unity. We shouldn't take it lightly, but Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, as much as depends on you, we should seek to live at peace with one another. Peace. We should always be striving to keep the unity of the faith. Being in unity is a wonderful experience for the saints in Christ, and it's enjoying one. Didn't Christ pray that we would all be one? Didn't Christ pray that we would be one with Him as He was one with the Father in John 17? That we would enjoy that oneness? But we have an enemy, and he doesn't see it that way. His job is divide and conquer. He takes pleasure in destroying unity. He takes pleasure in dividing us, and we need to be aware of his devices and the attempts that the evil one tries to work within us. Much like Jude was saying, we need to turn earnestly for the faith. When people come in with false doctrine, when people come in and try to lead us astray, we need to stand up and say, no, you can't do that. That's not going to happen. There's nothing better than being unified in the faith of Jesus Christ as one body. On the other hand, there's nothing worse than be involved in a fellowship that is divided and does not enjoy that fellowship. It's heartbreaking for all concerned. There's really a neat other phrase for the term with one accord. It means to rush along in unison, and it's like a marching band. Marching band all walking to the same beat. Now, when our kids were in school, they were in the marching band. They were band geeks. And we followed them everywhere. We loved to see the band parade, and they went out and did their things, and they walked and stuff like that. So it's no surprise to anybody, if you know my wife, that one of her most favorite movies is Drumline. Drumline about the kid who goes to college on a scholarship, and it's in a band thing. Well, there was something that was said. Every time the band went out to perform, the leader and director of the band said this. Remember what it was? One band, one sound. What is that? Unity. It's unity. One band, one sound, as we realize that we're sharing the same Jesus. We share the same Jesus. We drink from the same spring. We're energized by the same life source, the Holy Spirit. Won't we freely rush along with the same beat of each other? Won't we freely be with each other and be unified? Just like those marching bands, one heart in Christ, one voice, the voice of Christ. Amos when he's writing his prophecy, in chapter 3, verse 3, poses a question about unity. Poses a very, very important question. How can two walk together unless they agree? You ever see soldiers parading? You ever see anybody out of step? You might see them out of step, but not for long. How can they walk together unless they agree? Try being out of step in a formation like that. You'll stick out like a sorest thumb there is. 
How can two walk together unless they agree? Unless we develop the reason, the proper reason for unity, we will truly never be unified. The reason that we should be united is Jesus Christ. Unless each of us is willing to yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit, we will never be unified. There will never be true unity. We are told by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one accord, which means having the same passion here, being of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ. This is what it means to be in one accord. The Apostle Paul described it to us perfectly. Thinking of others, not of ourselves. This is the key to walking in unity and in humility. The key is to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the focus, and he's our only basis for unity. This is what's happening in the Jerusalem Council. This is what I see happening. It's the same thing. The agreement they reached was unified. The agreement they reached was unanimous. And finally, the agreement they reached was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses 27 and 29. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to send us and to us to lay upon no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Unless James was mistaken when he stood up and he declared in front of the council during this huge debate, and he says in Acts 15, 19, I therefore judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are being saved. What happened? Everything got quiet. Everything got completely quiet because the council was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. James was speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit and the council became quiet. They listened intently and they allowed their hearts to be opened and guided by the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us. The agreement was reached because it came from being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They allowed the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them into the truth. Lloyd Pulley in his book entitled, Under His Influence, Yielding to the Work of the Holy Spirit, says this, We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit's authority over us by submitting to His leading and continually posturing ourselves in a position where we need His power. When we do this, we are making ourselves available to be used by God as He chooses. Did you hear that? When we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, we are making ourselves available to be used by God as He chooses. Ultimately, it's not for us to decide the way in which He will use our lives. That's His part. Our part is to be yielded and available, willing to follow wherever He leads. The council was seeking truth. You are Thank you for joining us here today on Assure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? 
he met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope.